Our text this morning comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 1 and verse 2. And our text reads, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan. The text tells us of a terrible catastrophe. It tells us of a devastating and tragic event for Israel. Moses is dead. And we hear that word with a bit of a sinking of the heart. Moses. We could have spared anyone better than him. Moses was worth any dozen men, any hundred men. He was worth any thousand men. Tradition tells us that the soldiers of Napoleon used to refer to him as old 200,000 because the soldiers in the Napoleonic army felt like that Napoleon was worth 200,000 ordinary men. Moses was Israel's Napoleon. He was their leader. He seemed to be the man, the one man out of all of the others that could not possibly be spared. And yet at the very beginning of the book of Joshua, we read that Moses is dead. The one who had begun the great enterprise of emancipation for Israel. The one who saw the burning bush in the wilderness that God spoke to him out of. It was Moses who heard God's call to deliver His people. It was Moses who had gone a lone old man to invade Egypt. A man with only a staff in his hand and God in his heart who had fought the hard-hearted king of Egypt and he'd won. Moses, the one who had led Israel out of slavery, Go back by an eye of faith. And see Israel, there they are on the banks of the Red Sea. And the army of Pharaoh is closing in on them. It was Moses with the staff in his hand and the power of God in his heart that parted the waters of the Red Sea. It was Moses that made a path for their feet. It was Moses who had led them safe to the other side. You remember? When Israel fought the enemy, it was the uplifted hands of Moses that brought them the victory. Moses. This man, Moses, had been everything to Israel. Remember when he went up into the mountain to receive the Decalogue and he was gone for 40 days? And they said, make us gods to go before us. Because they did not know what had become of Moses. They meant that Moses, to them, had stood in the place of God. For almost half a century, this man Moses had carried Israel on his broad shoulders. And the loss of Moses... To the childish minds of the children of Israel, the loss of Moses 
was an intense loss. It was like the loss of God Himself as far as they were concerned. And yet, however reluctant they are to admit it, however reluctant we are to admit it, however bitter the loss is when you read about it, how seemingly disastrous the catastrophe and the tragedy is, the fact remains. Moses is dead. And because Moses is dead, there are facts that have to be faced. Facts that eyes can't be closed to. Facts that have to be looked at and conduct has to be shaped accordingly. God says to Joshua, Moses is dead. Now therefore. Now therefore what, God? What's Joshua's attitude supposed to be now? Joshua was Moses' servant. Joshua was Moses' minister. What's his attitude supposed to be now? What's the attitude of Israel supposed to be now that Moses is dead? Well, they they could have assumed an attitude of helplessness. An attitude of despair. An attitude of, woe is us, what are we going to do now? And that would have been an altogether natural response. Moses is dead. He was our leader. He was the one we looked to to bring us into Canaan. But he did not live to accomplish his task. But we depended on him so much. We might as well quit now. We might as well give up because it's just a matter of time till this deal's all over with. Moses got the command of God. God told Moses, he said, get thee up into the mountains and die. And Moses did that. And he left his task unfinished. The last chapter of Moses' book was never written. The last touch was never put upon that masterpiece that he was painting. Moses is dead. And he died without reaching Canaan. And Israel might as well say, if Moses couldn't bring us into the land of Canaan, there's just no use for anybody else to try. Because there's no other man among us as great as Moses was. No one else is as gifted as he was with his patience and his faith and his daring and his genius. He's dead. He's gone. Let's just quit. Let's just give up. Let's just go back to Egypt. Folks, that's the kind of attitude that we often assume in our own lives. We lose Moses in our life. Or we meet one great defeat. Or we're wounded by one great Sorrow. We stand by the coffin and we sob and we say, Life can never be worthwhile again. There can never be any hope for us anymore. Or we watch the tail lights as the, the U Haul truck or the moving van goes off into the distance. 
And someone special and someone important and someone vital in our lives has left. And so we want to give up. We want to quit. We want to sit down and sob and wait for the end. These Israelites might have done that. They might have done what they so often did and rebelled and become bitter and morose. They might have blamed God for their loss. We do that, don't we? Something tragic happens in our lives. Why, God? Why me, God? Or they could have just completely quit. They could have just given up. But God said, Moses, my servant, is dead. And He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan. God said, get up and go. Since Moses is gone, you are going to be needed all the more. Since Moses no longer works, your work is all the more necessary. Let the vacancy that Moses left be an invitation for you to fill that vacancy. The faint-hearted coward said, Moses is dead. We might as well just quit. We might as well just give up. But the heroic Joshua says, Moses is dead, therefore I must take on new burdens. I must assume new responsibilities. I've got to fight harder because Moses is dead. Listening? That was God's plan then. That's God's plan now. Therefore, rise up and go. Because God has to have someone to lead. There are some things that God can do without our help. There are some things that God can do without me and without you. God can run the weather quite well without us. Now, don't misunderstand me. If we could, we would run it. If I could run the weather, I would assure you I'd dial the temperature back about 30 degrees right now. But we can't run the weather. So since we can't run the weather, we do the next best thing. You know what that is? We complain about it. Since we can't run it, we're going to fuss about it. And we're going to complain about it. And I've told you a thousand times, this will be a thousand and one. I never will forget back when I was a boy preacher 10, 15 years ago. Wasn't that funny? I was standing on the step of the front porch of the church building. It was coming a toad-choking, stump-moving, trash-lifting, gully-washing rain. It was coming in sheets, thunder, lightning, the wind blowing. And I'm standing there, it's between Bible class and worship, and I've got my arms crossed, I'm looking at that rain, I'm shaking my head. I said, oh my goodness, we're not going to have anybody at church today. This is the worst rain I've seen. And I was going on and on and on and fussing about the rain. There was this old man there, about 70 years old. And he looked at me and he said, Son, you might as well enjoy this weather. It's the only weather you got. 
We can't run the weather. God does it. So we complain about it. But God can run the weather quite nicely without my help or yours. In fact, God can manage the seasons of the year and the sun and the moon and the stars. He can do all that without us. But there are some things God cannot do without us. God cannot save this world without our help. That's something that lies very close to the heart of God. And while God works through us, while God works through men and women, we must remember that no one man or woman is essential to the success of God's enterprise. God can take His workmen home to heaven. And God can still carry on His work. You know, sometimes in the church, we see what is probably the most pitiful sight that you can ever see. We see some man or some woman who's a member of the body of Christ. They might even be one of the leaders in the church, maybe even a Bible class teacher. But maybe in some way their feelings get wounded. Or they feel slighted in some way. Or something doesn't go just the way they want it to. And so they decide that they're going to get angry. And they'll decide that they're going to try to just partially wreck the church by quitting. So they withdraw themselves. They leave the congregation they're a part of. Some of them drive right past it going somewhere else. Some of them go to Box Springs on Sunday morning. But they're no longer seen regularly at God's house. What happens? Does the church die? No, it doesn't. Inside, that individual dies. They die spiritually inside. And in doing so, they help their family and help their friends come to despise the church. When we find ourselves wounded, we must not let it lead us to the supreme madness of quitting. We can't fancy ourselves so important that the church of God will be broken up and die 
because we go off somewhere and pout. Guess what? You and myself and a thousand other souls all over this country this morning could quit right now. And you know what would happen? The church would go on. And the redeemed of the Lord would continue to shout. And what happens is that we sadly discover that we were in no sense of the word essential. Guess what? I'm not essential for the church to go on. The church can survive without me. Before you give a great hearty amen to that, you're not essential either. None of us are. Only God is essential. I'm not saying that we are not needed. Oh my goodness, no. God has nothing to throw away. But while we are all needed, and while everyone is needed, none of us is essential. God alone abides. And God alone is essential. After the death of Moses, God still spoke. It came to pass after the death of Moses, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Even after the death of Moses, God was still speaking. Even after the death of Moses, God did not lose His interest in humanity. Notice what God says in verse 5 to the prosaic and commonplace Joshua. He says, As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you, nor will I forsake you. God told Joshua He was going to work with him just like He worked with Moses. God wasn't saying to Joshua, I'm going to make you another Moses. He wasn't saying that. If God had needed a Moses, He'd have kept the one He had. Write this down. It's on the final exam. God does not quit when one of His servants dies. And God does not quit when one of His servants gives up. And God does not quit in the face of one failure or one defeat or one fall. God invites us to go forward with Him. Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago. And He came to establish the kingdom of God on earth. The church. And Jesus drew about Him a few choice men 
into whom he infused the Spirit just like his own. But it was Jesus that was put to death. It was Jesus that was taken by cruel hands and put to death on Calvary's hill. And there were a lot of his disciples that thought it was all over. That all was lost. But from that skull-shaped hill of loss and death, the followers of Jesus went out to the conquest of the world. The church is face to face today with a lot of things that are discouraging. Did you know that in the United States of America, the number of people who claim no religion at all has more than doubled in the last 25 years. We have those in some of the highest ranks of government that are creating an environment that's hostile to Christianity. And in our society today, with political correctness run amok, anytime you speak out against sin, there's some person that's ready to call it hate speech. It may even come to the point we can't preach against witch doctors anymore. There are parts of New England where less than two-thirds of the people claim any kind, any kind of religious affiliation. And we have to face the fact the church is not the mighty force that it should be. There are more people in Center, Texas this morning who are at home, on the lake, or pursuing some form of relaxation or recreation than there are in some kind of religious assembly. Why is the church not the mighty force it should be? Is it maybe that Jesus has never really taken hold of our lives. You see, for Israel, the death of Moses was a catastrophe and it was a tragedy. But it was not a fatality. For the church not to be the power that it should be is a catastrophe. But it does not need to be a fatality. We need to make sure That Jesus Christ has taken hold of our lives. That Jesus Christ is the Lord and the Master of our lives. Of all of our lives. Not just part of our lives. Are there changes you need to make? Has Jesus not been the Lord and Master of your life? If you need to make changes, you're invited to come as we stand and while we sing this song.